Welcome to episode 507 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 507 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owls. How you going, mate? I'm very good, Bevan. I'm, I'm waiting to hear your uh, your English accent. This is my Irish accent, so yeah. I'm expecting you to uh, you speak with your nice, clear, succinct voice today with uh, pronouncing all your, your words correctly. You've got, and, you uh, got a show, Queen's mate. English. You haven't got a shit show. But you know what I found really interesting, because I've been here for about four or five days now, is in New Zealand we don't have different accents, but in the UK it's almost like you go twenty minutes up the road and there's a completely different accent. So, so why is that? I know we have different accents, but but not oh, pretty not, minor. Not, not as not as pronounced as the UK. Yeah, like you might get the down south roll in the R, but it's it's yeah. You know, generally speaking, most Kiwis sound pretty similar, whereas over here it's like because I was hanging out for you know, admittedly they were kind of Scottish and Irish and that as well, but. Yeah, the Poms seem to, you know, they don't, they don't like the same voice. No, no, <laughs> so, they don't. So it's Insight from London, number one from Bevan. There we go. There'll be lots of insights today, I tell you. Team I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Team Oxygen Addict. Team Oxygen Addict. Team, you're looking for a coach, check them out. And our patrons. My oh, cheers. <laughs> okay, wait a second. Patrons, are we going to name a few? Yes, Tim, uh, Timotron McClurg, I saw him today out at uh, the Weetbix Kiwi Kids Triathlon with his little son out there. Oh, nice. Nice. R- R- Robert, give me more. That's sensational. Oh, I've actually got it now. Uh, what's that one? Jeremy Hopwood. Canadian. He's coming down to our um, I Am Talk 10-year anniversary all the way from Canada. Wow. In a couple of weeks' time. That's impressive. That's pretty cool. We've got- Four weeks' time, actually. Is it? Good, I better put that in my diary. Skip Slade, Peanuts. Matthew, the President Reagan. Well, well, with Trump coming along, he might be gone. Yeah. Let's and not talk American politics right now. No. And it's, uh, well, we thought it was uh, how, but it's actually Hugh. Um, and it used to be how, now brown cow dolphin, but it's actually Hugh dolphin. Well, but why so do we call just... him Hugh, how brown down, the, the hair at the side of that? Okay. See, innovation, John, thinking on our feet. That's how we roll. Okay, team, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got an age group of the week. We've got a statistic, a pretty interesting one there. Uh, Coach's Corner. We've got a, it's just going to be a short one, but it's Coach's Corner with a, with the Holy Hammer, Murray Lapworth influence. Just a small topic, just to remind people on something I think is uh, important that sometimes people might forget. Okay, and then we've got, we've got a few interviews, John. You, you, while I've been away, you've been doing the hard work that you always do. So who are we interviewing? So we've got a couple, a few, a series of short interviews. So we've got a guy called Jeff Fairbanks, and he's making a little bit of a documentary on why we do triathlon. And as part of that, he's going on a bit of a nut bar mission uh, to do 21 70.3s in 21 days in the States. So it's not quite the across the country type thing that we saw from um, Iron Cowboy, but uh, he's taken it from a different perspective. He's not a particularly experienced athlete, but I wanted to get him on the show. He emailed us, and, he, and I think he's doing this documentary on you know why do we do this crazy sport and then he's uh, his, his 
data gathering and information gathering and footage gathering is by going out there and actually doing himself. Then we're going to back that up with uh, Ryan from Blue 70 and the main reason I got him on was because I think we made a complete hash of introducing the Blue 70 wetsuit last week, the Thermal Helix, which is still, if you're listening to this uh, on time, it will still have a couple of days to roll on the auction. Uh, it's a new suit out from them. If you've got any cold water races coming up, for example, Alcatraz or any long course races like Norseman, you'll get this suit well below retail, so get on it. And then hopefully what I'll also do is have uh, Craig Percival, who as we are recording this, we're recording a little bit earlier than normal, he is hopefully will have completed his 8 and 8 and 8, which is doing uh, 8 Ironman distance sessions in the 8 different states of Australia in 8 days. John, just one question on the documentary guy. Now, is he doing actual 70.3 races or is he just doing mm. distance no, he's just doing it distance. So a bit like the other guys, you know, like Craig's doing, you know, eight um, Ironmans and, and asking people to come along and support him. It's pretty much the same deal, same deal as it was with uh, Iron Cowboy. He's sort of saying, hey, I'm going to be in town. I'm going to do this and come along and do it with me and or suggest some routes and stuff. So pretty much like that. Okay, good times. Okay, and then we've got App of the Week, and then it's pretty much the show. So, guys, not a huge week, news week this week. We've got uh, a little bit about Craig Percival. It looks like he's going to pretty much get there, John. Yeah, so he certainly finished seven yesterday, and uh, and from what I can see on Facebook as we're talking, he is uh, partway through number eight, where he's finishing off in his hometown of Melbourne. Um, but I had an email through from Michael Turner, who lives up in Darwin, and he told me a little story about when he did his uh, his iron distance section up there and Michael was a pretty accomplished athlete himself he said Craig started the race at two o'clock in the morning in Darwin and for people that don't know Australia Darwin is right at the very top of Australia so it's essentially in the tropics uh, he said they started at two o'clock in the morning pool temperature was 31 and outside temperature was around 30 which climbed to around 35 to 36 that's no drum up here, but the humidity that comes with it is the problem. So the pool was like a hot bath. He was out in under just under 55 minutes and onto the bike. You know, 55 minutes for a pool, uh, pool swim is, you know, that's solid go going. He, he, this is what Michael was saying. He said he told me he wanted to average between 30 to 32 kilometers per hour, so around about 20 miles per hour, um, which would have given him a sort of 5-hour 40 to 5-hour 45 bike split. I thought, easy, no drama, far out. He sat between 37 and 40 kilometers per hour. He was a little bit cranky as his bike was making annoying noises, but luckily about 45 minutes in, a mate uh, met up with him, and he was an A-grade cyclist, and thank God for that. He actually used the F word. Yeah, um, fantastic. I was, <laughs> I was about to explode, uh, and he rolled in to T2, in five hours and 15 minutes. Wow, that's pretty that's good. Iron distance. That's sensational. Yeah, that's pretty uh, good. On the run, though, he took, it, uh, he took it pretty gently on the run, given the heat, and he's a big unit. Uh, he went to hell and back going through the marathon. Quite a bit of uh, Craig Percival fertilizer <laughs> was left out there around uh, East Point, Darwin. Uh, finished around 11.30 in the morning, so good to go. About 11.30 time-wise. 
for the distance. Yes, so yeah. I think his run split from memory was about five. It was it was five hours something. So I think he he really just uh, got through it in that heat. So good on him going out there. And you know, I think part of the challenge with these these races, as we've heard, is uh, it's not just about doing the distance. It's about the logistics of actually making it happen when you've got to travel such big distances. So you know, starting at two o'clock in the morning, uh, just so you can then get on to get on to the next flight. Yeah, yeah, far, well, he's obviously managed to do it. So hopefully, John, because we're, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, we're recording this on Sunday, um, New Zealand time, and um, John's going to try and interview him tomorrow. So hopefully later on today's show, we'll have an interview of Craig. So you guys will figure that out pretty soon. Jonbo, John's ITU update. What's happening there, mate? Mario Mola took out another race along with Jody Stimson. So those uh, two won the first round of the World Triathlon Series in Abu Dhabi last weekend. And then this weekend they went off to Malulaba, which is a World uh, World Cup race. So that's sort of a second-tier race, but it attracted a pretty strong field because they're going to have the next round of the World Championship Series in a few weeks' time on the Gold Coast. So a lot of people would have uh, you know, gone to that first round and just gone over to Australia and do a training block over there. But I just I watched a three or four minute clip before we started doing the show. Man, over sprint distance, those Olympic distance guys just drill it, man. Really, they just cool. they're just pumping it on the bike. I mean, I know at times they come together and the, and the pack probably slows down, but in the sprint distance, sometimes the guys just attack and go for it. And on the run, you know, all the guys that are uh, you know might finish fifth through to twentieth, they have no fear. Uh, it's, it's different to an Olympic distance race. They just go for it and get out of the blocks, and they're running with Molder. You know, they're running way above where they should be, but they just just think that they think bugger I'm going for it. it's 5k and if I explode I explode but it's uh it's a, such an awesome distance and we call it a sprint but it's still a 55 minute race so it's a it's a fair old time to be you know cranking out a pretty high intensity but yeah it looked like some good racing on, on you know an accurate flat course how fast are they running 5k didn't actually look at the splits, but it's it's got to be it's got to be sort of fourteen thirty. Um, it's under fifteen minutes easily anyway. Wow. Um, but to give you, you know, to give us a, a, a Braden Curry, who we've talked about before, he's a fantastic New Zealand athlete who has shown over half Ironman. He is the business, you know. He's he's world class. He's not necessarily, you know, a podium world class, but he could go up to any race. You know, he beat guys like Cameron Brown and Callum Millwood and, and guys that are, you know, really solid um, athletes on the world stage. And he's crank, he's he's beaten them, and he's shown he can swim, he can bike, and he can run, and he can do it in in, in coast to coast type stuff and triathlon and terror. But he's trying this, and like he's he, I think he lost nearly two minutes to those dudes on the run run and for most of us you know he's a weapon but it's those guys are just another level now you know they're they're national class runners uh it's very impressive so so you know traditionally what we used to see in triathlon it was it was a lot of guys who were swim kids came through um Mm. maybe some run kids what what, is that changing what we're seeing the 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 pre-life of the kind of olympic distance triathlete or is it very much still a similar kind of trajectory no, you're exactly right. It's, you know, that's why countries like New Zealand and Canada and stuff are, are now really starting to struggle because we've always relied on those athletes that are just good, nuggety athletes or good all-rounders. But these other countries that now have these fantastic talent ID programs um, are just pumping out these athletes that are top-class swimmers and then they're just 
they're national class runners. This, I mean, we, we're not kidding ourselves that they could go and run in an international 10-kilometer race. You know, even guys like Brownlee and stuff like that, they'd get absolutely smoked in an international 10K race, but they're certainly national standard. Mm. And so you just got to gotta have the full package now. You can't be, you know, you can't have any weaknesses. And, uh, yeah, no, they're very, very fast, and it's very, very different to what it was in the 90s and the early 2000s thousands and you can't just rock up and as a number of guys have found you know like Braden Curry is a really good example he's an awesome athlete but it's just another level um, at, at, at ITU distance and so just with Braden I know this is very New Zealand centric but uh, he's not going to make the New Olympics no, I don't think he's got, uh, he's got, he's got any chance. But uh, So I think he finished like 44th. Yeah, he may have had issues and stuff out there again, but he's had a few races now and um, he struggled to make the grade. Good on him for trying. Yeah. But um, I would have thought that he might have been able to be a little bit closer on the run. But, um, yeah, it's uh, just shows up. It it's always really cool it's, when you see someone experience another level and not, nothing gets Braden but where they kind of you get a better perspective of where they sit in the world because there's mm. always levels isn't there and we were talking about this the other day with someone just you know I was I'm working over here in UK with this guy who was a Malaysian swimmer and he represented his nation and stuff but he just said you know he, he was just that little bit off the next level or well mm. you know when we look at world championships but you know this guy was a rock star swimmer but it's just the levels, isn't there? And then when you get exposed to the next level, it makes you appreciate, you know, like the goals of Molar and stuff like that, just to see how impressive they are when the people that we think are impressive are getting dominated by these people above them. Mm, it's mm. pretty cool stuff. Uh, it's good stuff. So next round of the ITU circuit is uh, April 8th and 9th on the Gold Coast. And the interesting thing about that race is for a lot of countries, it's their sort of final selection race for the Olympics. So, for example, uh, Great Britain, you know, they've got one slot left open on the girls. And uh, from, from as far as I can understand, it's pretty much a race off and providing you meet a certain criteria, which I think all of their girls will, you're in. So it's really going to be head-to-head racing so that round should be uh should be a goodie when, when's the last hard race before the olympics uh like when, you I know because I, I think the qualifying I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago but i think some stage in may is when they actually uh the race when when you got they can't they go right this is uh how many slots your country gets um in terms of the countries i think it's probably at their discretion when they want to name it but i think i think it was some stage in may they actually qualifying cuts off they say right new zealand you've got two males two females and each country can do whatever they want so i don't actually know i think it will vary based on olympic federations when they choose to select their athletes but i think for a lot of countries Gold Coast will be their final selection race, so I would expect to see a really strong field there. So, and, and when good. will guys race hard too, up until the Olympics? Like, when will you know? Will they? What kind of do? What kind of taper do they do? When you know if they're going to peak your season come the Olympics or August, aren't they? Mm, yeah, it so, varies hugely. So you know, you see some athletes, have, a lot of athletes, are sit, sitting out these early races and are changing the, the structure of their season. You know, in other seasons, we'll have seen stacked fields at Abu Dhabi and, and Gold Coast. Whereas this season, you know, you might see more people racing less and training more. So it's just um, it's whatever works for particular athletes. So it's gonna gonna vary quite a bit. Well, it's such a such a delicate thing, isn't it? And you really, you know, you, obviously, when you've got this one key kind of life-defining race to get it right, so important. So, it's such a science, isn't it, for such, mm. for each individual? Okay, John, there's uh, some rumours have been rolling around for a while that seventy point three world bike course is going to be changed to a more of a heli course. Uh, you're saying, please let them be true. 
Yeah, so this has been rolling around for ages and they still don't seem to have updated anything because, uh, and, and the reason this came up this week is I had athletes saying, oh, should I go to 70.3 Worlds to try to qualify? Pretty much saying, well, if you want to go for a nice holiday to Australia, it'd be great. But if they sit, sit with the existing course that they used last year, it's just going to be like another Florida. Uh, not, it's not quite as flat as that. There is a couple of bumps on the old existing course, but it's nothing significant. And when you have a quality field, it's just going to be an absolute debacle. So I'm stoked to hear that the rumours are still out there that the course is going to change and I do hope that it does because you know the last few years we had some good racing um, at uh, in Austria when they had a fantastic course and Mont-Tremblanc and also in Vegas so I've got my fingers crossed that uh, these rumours are going to come true and hopefully they'll announce it sooner rather than later um, but it would it's going to make for such a better race if they can actually have some hills to break it up for the age groupers Pro, the, for the pro race as well. So rumour has it it's going to be a one-lap bike course with um, with some hills. Um, if it's not and they stick with the course that they used for the 70.3 last, last year, um, I think it was a two-lap course, but it's it's pretty flat and uh, and it will just be a draft fest. So come on, WTC, stick to your guns and what you've, the good stuff that you've done recently and give us a good course. John, John just on this, because in some ways I, I totally agree. I think hills in a championship course are really good, especially if you look at the Florida where we saw these massive draft packs and stuff like that but then in other ways it's kind of like you know Molina and Kona Molina and Kona always struggled because just he wasn't a heat guy and and the big guys you know we don't see a huge amount of those really massive guys in the sport who could be world champions in any other course anywhere else in the world but in Kona it just doesn't work for them while I think that it's good to have hilly courses occasionally if it's always the case is that a disadvantage to people who potentially could be world champions? Absolutely. And so I've got nothing against flat courses as such. Flat courses are fantastic. You can just get out there, get in your zone. But they're really trying to make these events mass participation events. They have huge numbers of people on the course. And so it's more for me, it's a case of don't think anything against flat races, but it's got to be a fair race. And so if you're going to have a flat course, you've got to figure out a way that you can actually make it fair racing. Um, and I don't have the answers for that. You know, you've either got to have small waves and really spread the whole event out over, over a very long period or reduce the size of the field um, or, or come up with some format where it's actually going to be fair. And I'd have to give quite a bit of thought to that. So that's why hills can actually help. It doesn't need to be, you know, flipping stage of the Tour de France with three mountain passes on it, but hills are just going to help break it up. But I'm realistic. There's still going to be loads of drafting at 70.3 worlds if it is hilly or not and you'll still have packs but it won't, hopefully won't be to the same extent that you'd see of in Florida and like Ironman Barcelona when you've literally got packs of 30 or 40 guys rolling around and people are just sitting in there literally you know pack riding so yeah I get your point um, but if they want to do flat courses just going to have to structure it so you have less people and uh, and loads of different wave starts and spread out over, over a really long period Mm. Um, John, that's pretty much it for the news this week. It's definitely quite. We had a pretty good discussion last week, guys. We were, we were kind of curious to see in your local region, you know, maybe your country or even within a region within a country, how's the sport going? You know, from your perspective, because we've kind of been talking a little bit recently about how in New Zealand triathlon maybe isn't where it was 10 years ago, you know, whereas maybe a little bit more kind of participation and, and bigger numbers and stuff and so we're kind of just curious to see for you guys wherever you are in the world where's triathlon at and jombo do you want to start well, i'm just going to use your notes you've got here so you go first yep 
Uh, first up, we had uh, Brett Chan. He is, I think he's, you are. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you, you do it. I can't do it. Uh, he's in Western Canada. He said, Ironman Canada registration has declined year over year since moving to Whistler. They've added 70.3 on the same day to prop up attendance. Ironman Muskoka was cancelled uh, just uh, due to low registration. My man Mont-Tremblant doesn't sell out. I'm in Coeur Lane, which is just over the border, can't settle on a date and doesn't sell out. Uh, although there is still strong in- interest, only about half of the local 70.3s are selling out now. There still seems to be a lot of interest in 70.3 and lots of triathletes, triathletes in Victoria training for iron distance races, but there is almost no pressure to register early with the exception of a few iconic races. Challenge Pen Ticton, although not an Ironman, has never really caught on for long course, although associating with ITU World's may help interesting uh, Lucy Francis is based in the UK and she's got we're seeing big growth in long distance triathlon in the UK one of the reasons some races don't see out instantly is due to the courses being so flipping hard we have a mu- so much choice between try for a newbie Olympic distances and longer the only complaint is the weather is always rubbish how's the weather been Bevan you know what John it, it, it hasn't been terrible it, you know what for the time of the year it's been cold but it's not pouring the rain or anything I, I love it John I love the, I love England. Good. Good. Go mother go mother England. Richard Swan talking New Zealand. While triathlon could have fallen away in New Zealand, there are two substantial iron distance races with numbers at Ironman New Zealand are steady at thirteen hundred. Considering five to seven years ago the race field at Ironman New Zealand was really in excess of one thousand, that's a pretty steady position. While um, could only look at the growth of Iron Maori, or one could only look at the growth of Iron Maori, which had 70-odd people competing in Taupo to show that the sport is actually <coughs> attracting new participants. That Iron Maori thing is fantastic. Yeah, uh, so they had so, loads of people doing that. Well, so what it is, guys, is it's basically a community. The Māori, obviously, is a culture in New Zealand, and it's a, it's a group of people who have got people, used triathlon to get, because the Māori population is considered well they are less healthier if you look at the stats um and uh and so i'm not quite sure exactly who drives it i remember years ago i watched an interview with the person who started the whole thing and they're just such an inspiration because it's 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 not your typical triathlete it, it's people who are, are massively units. overweight yeah and but just that they encapsulate they're using all the great things about triathlon the accessibility and um, the community it's it's just really really we should actually probably get someone on to talk about it john because mm. it's 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 just awesome. Like it's just everything that's great about triathlon and doing really important stuff in their community of their people. And uh, yeah, as Richard was saying, it's just really powerful stuff. In Asia, Aaron Franklin just sent through saying, uh, growing in leaps and bounds over here in Asia. New races going up all over the places with prize money and sponsors looking for athletes to support, which is great to hear. Nice. Uh, in Australia, Michael Kennedy said Challenge Foster, Challenge Batemans Bay, Mandura 70.3 and Ironman Melbourne all gone with one season. So he was saying it was a little bit bleak. Matthew Binns decided to write a book, so I'm not reading out your book, sorry, Matthew. <laughs> but he did summarise in, in his last paragraph. In summary, the sport is healthy in Oz and particularly in Victoria. The iron distance races have had some drop off in numbers, but the rest of the distances remain healthy. So in Australia, he's saying it's all looking pretty good. Okay, so John Boo, I know we've kind of talked about New Zealand, but anything you want to add to that? 
No, I think um, yeah, I think a lot of people across the board seem to be travelling for race to races a lot more, and that may be impacting their local races. I'm not quite sure, but I think um, a couple of people pointed out Ironman New Zealand. You know, whilst the numbers were up, which was great, and also Wanaka was had really good numbers. Yeah, uh, they you know the, the the internationals perhaps propped those up a little bit. Um, I haven't done the statistical analysis, but a lot of people are travelling a lot more for races. You know, that's Kiwis are travelling to races. You know, so many people are going over to Australia for Cairns and WA and they would have gone over for Melbourne um, so I think there's a lot more travelling going on good to see you know over in the UK Lucy Francis you know we, we seem to be talking about different iron distance races popping up all over the show so yeah I'd just say we've reached that point where it's in, in some ways it's good you know you don't have to be stressing so much about you know missing out on a race and it's selling out and, and you know um some races aren't going to have two and a half thousand people. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It just means the courses aren't quite so crowded. And yeah, I don't think we're in a terrible state, but I certainly don't think things are growing from from what I can see. Well, I think what you're seeing is a difference between two different types of condemnations. You've got the established nations, which, you know, probably there's a 10% growth or decline within any period of time. And then we've got our, our growing nations like the Asia right now, where it seems to just be going from strength to strength. And, you know, WTC are exploring these newer markets to you know obviously because there's new easier growth there and so i think over long term we'll probably see more of that these established places like new zealand are going to have those moments where maybe something it picks up for a little bit but it's never going to completely drop away there's a triathlon has a good position in our country but then yeah mm. the the growth opportunities are really in areas where triathlon isn't big like like you know some of the eastern Bloc countries and oh, sorry um in like the african countries and stuff like that as well so <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice, John. The, the other challenge is, and this is going to be a worldwide challenge, uh, and it's certainly more becoming more of an issue in New Zealand, is it's harder to put on events. And this is why WTC, I think, is just growing in leaps and bounds in terms of the number of events they're taking on. Is It's really hard for the small promoters to put on events these days in terms of you know all the health and safety issues you've got to go through. And unless you can be getting several hundred people on the start line, it makes it very difficult not just to put on events, just to break even not necessarily make money so I think if you think race directors out there are making oodles of cash you're strongly you're, you're, you've, you've really got uh, it's, it's just straight up wrong because I put on races and, and, and you don't make a lot of cash out of them if you're getting a thousand people maybe you are um, but for those events that are getting you know if you're getting under a couple of hundred people just to cover your costs is a real struggle so I think we're going to see more of those small events uh, disappearing in it, and, and I think certainly in New Zealand we've seen a lot of the beginner novice sort of uh, get into triathlon events have disappeared so there's not that sort of uh, that pathway to get into it so there's still events for people who are really keen and motivated and, and want to get out there and do it but for those who need their hand held and go along and do pool waste races and beginner stuff it's it's certainly dropping away in New Zealand elsewhere in the world it might be different Interesting stuff. We've got a good email through from Robert Boom Boom Beeline. He's got uh, all those fantastic interviews with age groupers leaving me with the question. I am a minimum of eight hours. I need a minimum of eight hours of sleep a night person. Uh, when training hard, I need even more sleep. Any tips on how to manage to get to the reasonable amount of sleep when one has to get up at 4 a.m. for training, those guys and girls who sleep, I hardly believe that they hit bed at 11 o'clock. Oh, sorry, at nine o'clock. Any tips, ideas on how to manage your sleep or feeling somewhat rested at four in the morning? So it, basically the discussion we want to have is probably rest strategies and, and energy management, hey? 
Yeah, so yeah, for you guys and girls that do get up early in the morning, and, and I'm one of them uh, in terms of getting up, I don't get up crazy, crazy early. Um, I did on Saturday, but you know, I normally get up at five and, and will typically do my training early in the morning. Uh, Saturday, I did actually get up at four and was uh, was riding at 4.30 for three hours on outside and then an hour on the trainer. Um, and so I can go into how, how I get get by with it, but I coach a lot of athletes that will get up at you know five and some will get up at four and train. And uh, yeah, so how do you guys that do that sort of stuff cope and, and how do you fit in your sleep um, or lack of and just how do you survive doing it? I also think just also energy management strategies because I, I don't want to go too far into the discussion for next week, but I actually can quite comfortably live on six hours sleep at night. Um, mm. but, but I also meditate every day and, and I think that's one of the big things that I do that I, I'm not, I don't need a huge amount of sleep and I do like more, don't get me wrong, like I, I'm better with eight hours but I can, I can quite a, not lose functionality in life on six hours of sleep. But they're one of the keys is to have really good rest strategies throughout the day. So maybe just also what do I do for energy management throughout that. So that's this week's discussion. Jombo, sponsor. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Tell me about it, Jombo. I feel like a boost. I know well, I'm feeling a little tickle in my throat today. And I'm just going don't like it. Don't like it, Bevan. No. So I'm going to be uh, going for the immune boost. So I'll be pulling it off the shelf. And what I always find is uh, I don't, don't take it all the time, immune boost. So I typically do take it when I'm in a really heavy block of training. But at the moment, I'm only sort of doing around 12 hours a week or so. Um, so not nothing too too crazy. But whenever I feel a tickle coming on, anything remote, I just go for the immune boost. And you know, eight to nine times out of ten, that basically keeps me out of trouble. I take it for a few days, and uh, and just things just seem to disappear. So, it's a daily multivitamin, antioxidant, uh, photonutrient formula. It was engineered and built with the pharmaceutical grade nutrients to maximise the body's ability to build and maintain a strong immune system. Um, during moderate and strenuous workouts, your body goes through several um, internal disruptions, including increased body acid, micro muscle tears, trauma to the muscles, inflammation, and severe oxidative oxidative attacks. Immune Boost was built to help protect against those severe internal disruptions. So I've got a few severe internal disruptions going on. Story and, of life, uh, isn't so it? I'm going to protect them with the Immune Boost. But yeah, it really works for me as, as just a uh, yeah, bit of a defense fighter when I feel things coming on. And if you're in a heavy block of training, and especially if you're in shitty weather, um, get on it, guys. Uh, go to xendurance.com um, and check out Immune Boost and use promo code IAMTALK10 to get yourself a discount. I pushed a button I wasn't meant to push. What did you push? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> it's just getting worse. Is that your phone? <laughs> oh, there we go. Phew. <laughs> just immune boost team. <laughs> Make sure oh, you get on it. You're in another high-class establishment, are you? Oh, I tell you. No, I'm actually in quite a nice hotel, but... Oh, jeepers, creepers, a bit thrown there, John. That's a bit thrown. Immune boost team, and it is, John is right. It's a good thing to think seasonal-wise. If you if you are training for a big race coming out of winter, if you can get on that through winter, because one thing that's going to hurt you most in your training is being sick. See how I turn that around? Professional winding, John. Professional winding. John Bo, three, two, one. Age Gripper of the Week. The The Mountain Snail sent through this one, and it's Age Gripper of the Week. The Mountain Snail is coming down for uh, for our I Am Talk weekend, so he's one of our more famous listeners. Yeah. So if you want to get on it, 
check out IamTalk.me and join us. And yeah, four weeks' time, we're going to be doing some epic stuff. Some good times he's just sent through. How about we use Bryn Ford, who does the Effortless Swimming podcast and runs swim clinics in Australia and the Tanyapura Howl Week, who did his first Ironman in Taupo as Melbourne was cancelled. Some bullet points. He's just gone bullet points, Jombo. There's Love no, it, there's no snore stories. It. It's bullet points. Okay, no cycling background. But... I have to say it's for me but again if you're going to be good at one thing in triathlon swimming's probably the thing you don't care to be great at yeah. uh, triathlon i uh, know triathlon background to speak of either became a dad late becoming a dad later this year swam 4701 which is pretty impressive uh, okay. although he does have a swimming podcast so we'd expect nothing less uh new age group record came second fastest age group swim in taupo ever by one second Oh man! What would that do to your jocks, Bevan? Oh, that would rip your undies. That would I tell you. Um, went on offline, coming into the shore. So I must have. Oh, so I swam offline, going into the shore. Every second counts. Very impressive split for the day, John. Boy, do you want to pull those up because my internet's a bit funny? Oh no, yes. I've got it here in front of me. The bike he did a five forty one, holding a thirty one k average pretty consistently. He ran a three twenty one wobbling between Yeah, I know that's a really good race for your first race considering he's like again, the guy's obviously a rock star swimmer, but that's that's a good eye man, isn't it? So he finished ninety fifth overall, division rank in the twenty five to twenty nine of sixth place. So yeah, swim forty seven, like four five forty one and run three twenty one. That's solid for a nine fifty six fifty nine. So under your ten under ten hour barrier in your first race. Pretty awesome. That's that's really good. And to get sixth in the age group Mm. You know, he wouldn't have been that far off the. How many slots are probably have one nowadays, don't they? Oh, there'd probably be two, two, maybe three in that age group, but probably two. That's pretty impressive work, mate. So, Brendan, you obviously, uh, you know, if you want to check out some swimming podcasts, guys, effortless swimming podcast, but more importantly, the guy's a rock star swimmer, but also an impressive triathlete. You like that? So, Brenton Ford, you are our age group of the week. Age group of the week. Love your work, Brenton. Love your work. Okay, Jombo, stats, tastic. Stick. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. Okay, so we've got an email. We're talking about... Um, who who have been the fastest bike riders? And we're wondering where Dougal Allen kind of fitted into this because he's our Kiwi fella who obliterated uh, the field or the bike time in both Wanaka and in Taupo set a new course record. So we're wondering where does he sort of rank amongst the uh, amongst those you know those other legends and bike riders we've got. And Jombo, I don't have the link, so tell me about it. So, based off Torsten's statistical analysis, and this is sort of weighted on, you know, how hard the course is, how, you know, what sort of standard of field came turned up, and so it's all very statistical. Andrew Starkowitz still uh, rates as the best Ironman athlete. His mm-hmm. time of four hours and twenty, or his his rating is four hours and twenty three minutes and one second. So he's three minutes ahead of Sebastian Keenlay, and then Dougal Allen is actually ranked as the third best bike rider in Ironman at the moment wow. uh, then you've got Michael Weiss who's the Austrian uh, he comes in about another minute later Jan Fredino is ranked uh, fifth that's pretty impressive given that guy's the fastest one of the fastest swimmers in our sport given he was I think second out second or third out in Kona um, Marino van Holnacker is sixth Nils Fromhold is seventh Frederick van Leer is eighth uh, making 12 sick who was down in Wanaka as well and has been uh, I think he might have had the fastest bike time in Kona last year perhaps, potentially uh, and Andy Boucheret rounds out the top 10 
on the girls' side of things, uh, no great surprises was that Daniela Reef is actually ranked as the, the fastest female athlete with a rating time of 4 hours 56.15. Anya Berenik is second. Lusa Hulfhaler from Austria is third. Caroline Steffen fourth. Yvonne Van Vlerken fifth. Angela Nath sixth. Diana Reisler seventh. Rachel Joyce eighth. Mary Beth Salas ninth. And Natasha Badman, the spring chicken that she is, Still came in at tenth place, so, and I actually went back to him and he said, "Wow, that's pretty impressive with Badman because she must be late forties now. She's she's yeah. such an impressive woman." But yeah. um, but then he came back and he said, "Well, what he sent through to us was kind of his long term ratings. But if we look at this year's performance, and we know it's only a couple of months in, but it's got Dougal Allen and Wanaka was the best performance so far this year. Mark Twisick, uh, Twisick and Wanaka was the second best performance, and Dougal Allen, New Zealand, Joe Skipper." And obviously Cyril, you know, so yeah. it's been, uh, which, you know, we've only had a couple of races, but be interesting to see what happens throughout the year with these cycling times. But it's good to see Dougal's up there. It's it's unfortunate to swim, you know, if he can lose a couple more minutes on that swim, it would make a massive difference for him, wouldn't it? I'd love to see how he would perform in Kona um, because he's, he'll be so far out the back door in Kona. Prob- he would probably be the last person out of the swim. In fact, I'd almost say he'd definitely be the last person out of the swim. Because you don't have the wetsuit either. Qualified. Yeah, you so know. he'd get absolutely smoked. But what that would mean is he can have a completely clear run of that bike and just ride it to power. Uh, it'd be really interesting to see how he goes because when you've got guys like uh, Starkowitz and stuff, you know, he still does have to get through a little bit of traffic on the bike and you know, he still does have people hanging on so he doesn't get a really clear run in it. Same with Keenlay, you know, he's got to ride through the field get to the front and then deal with a few people when he gets there this year he didn't get off the front but Dougal Allen I think would have a pretty clear run at it for for a big chunk of the bike ride he'd start riding through people in the second half but the first half he'd have a clear run so don't know if it's we when I spoke to him or when we spoke to him he wasn't really sure if that was part of his plan uh, he'll need quite a few more points to actually make it but it would be interesting to see how he would go John random question who's your top three for Kona this year right now and both the guys and girls uh, oh, you can't go past Fredino. Yeah, I mean, and uh, Reef. And Reef. So yeah. that's that's sort of a no-brainer. That. That's why I went top three. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's pretty much their, their race to to lose. Um, top three. Oh, you got to say Joycey's going to be amongst it, and uh, and this is a bit obvious when you go Rinny as well. That that is your top three sort of base, probably off Torsten's ratings anyway. But I'd I'd say Rinny should come back pretty strong this year, and Joycey's always there or thereabouts. So that'd be my top three on the girls. Guys, who's going to crush it on the guys? Um, I think we're going to see an ITU athlete come through. So let's say, let's wow. say Brent, Brent McMahon would be in second place and Sebastian Keenlay in third. Okay, there you go. You heard it here first, team. Put the money on the bookies. In the UK, you can bet on anything, John. So I'm going to go to the bookies today and put my bets on right now. So there we mm-hmm. go. Um, good statistic. I think you're Thorson. Or you want to check out his website, tryrating.com. It's a great website if you love to geek out on all things triathlon. John Bo, we've got an interview. Yes, so as we said earlier in the show, Jeff Fairbanks is uh, coming up, and you're going to. Uh, the main reason we want to get him on is, yeah, he he is doing this uh, this the Triumph project, and it's really trying to learn about why we do triathlon. And so he's going out there and doing this uh, crazy thing: 21 days of 70.3 efforts in a different city each day. He's starting in Free Freepoint uh, Freeport. ME, I don't even know what state ME is, and then he's going to finish 21 later days later in Vero Beach in Florida. 
starting on the 27th of July this year. So main message to get out there is if you want to support Jeff, um, he tells us all about how you can do that. Um, it'd just be cool to actually see a bit more you know, documentaries and stuff on why we do this crazy sport. So here's Jeff. Okay. Okay, guys, if you've ever wondered why the hell we do this sport of triathlon, we have a man who is going to try to help explain it. He's going on a bit of a crazy adventure and he's going to be documenting all of this in what he's calling the Triumph Project. So uh, his name's Jeff Fairbanks. So welcome along to the show, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate right. it. First thing I want to find out, you're, you're going on a bit of a, a, a mission here in terms of uh, doing a gazillion 70.3 efforts over 21 <laughs> days, so maybe maybe tell us a bit about that first and then we can sort of move on to what what is known as the, the Triumph Project. Yeah, sure. So I was trying to, the basis for the project's always been to kind of explain why we do this, um, and I kind of, for the longest time, had a kind of a blank on what that meant for me. You know, like coming up with this, this whole thing for me was kind of like, well, I want to do this. I'm not sure how, what, you know, what should I do? And um, relating to my surfing history, it was always kind of like they pushed all these things from the top down, meaning like they take these people and be like, you know, look at what they do. And then, uh, you know, you should want to do that. So you should want to do this sport type of thing. And that was kind of like opposite of what I experienced when I got into triathlon. Um, and so for me, I kind of watched this weird documentary um, and saw this kind of average guy try to build his house on a, on a, on some wheels and cart it off. Right. And he had like no experience. And I related to that being new to the sport. Right. Mm. And as I tried to think of a way to do this project, I kept reflecting on that, that documentary I watched. And I'm like, you know what? I've been blind to kind of the, to my purpose. And I felt like this mission, this, this 70.3 journey is actually what I think is the bridge to that community component of getting that why. And it's just, it's just the crazy piece that connects to all these different community locations and people. And, and they're going to be really be the ones that are kind of chugging the train along to say why it is we do this. And I'm just literally, um, you know, being the, I think I can type, uh, average Joe that's, that's huffing himself along, um, to get there and to grab people's attention via yeah. via the effort, you know. So, so um, essentially, the Triumph Project is going to be a, a documentary on on why we do triathlon. Right, right. And this and this little journey for me, um, I, I guess, little to some people that are probably far better than me, but but for me, this 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 big uphill climb was kind of the the means to capture uh, those voices. You know, it kind of seemed once I shifted into that component. You know, the following started to take to take place, and um, people really started to engage with that. And I think that was where the relatability component started to make sense, and what was missing from before. So, and explain, so explain exactly what you're actually going to be doing. Yeah, so I'm going to be taking my, myself and my family. We have two little ones, three and six, uh, and we're going to be driving up the coast, and we're going to start up in Maine, <clears throat> and each day for three weeks. Um, and I should clarify what three weeks is. That's the amount of time I can get off work. So that was my vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. someone's like, why 21 days? Well, now you know. Yeah. Um, but we're going to hit a different city location uh, all the way south until um, we reach back to Florida where we're at. And so the reason why some of those locations, I've never been to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I tried to Google a bunch of places for as far as what was um, or what has been uh, where an event has been held type of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I had to keep in mind, you know, I don't have like a, 
I don't have like a major corporate sponsor or anyone kind of giving me anything to to sort of get the logistics done. So I had to keep in mind that, you know, not only do I have to do the efforts, but I also have to drive my family to the next stop, mm. you know? So, so I couldn't, I couldn't go and I can't do my efforts all day and then, and then feel like, okay, now I have a six hour drive. Mm. You know, that was, a, that was a little bit heavy. So that's kind of where we, it took us a couple of weeks to figure out the routing. Um, and then my hope is that people will, will sort of volunteer to, that are familiar with those places. They'll volunteer some routes for me to do. Like, hey, this is a great place we can swim, and like, here's a route for you, and I'll just take it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'd like them to sort of be like um, my what do you call it, a Sherpa? You know, they yeah. can be my kind of logistical Sherpa, if you will. Um, and people have just helped me so much, you know, getting to this point. And it's really, to be honest with you, I, I really had no idea I was going to get to this at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought this was like a memento for the kids type of a situation, not not people coming out and meeting me and uh, you know, wanting to do this with me. So I'm really humbled. <laughs> I mean, the fact I'm talking to you is kind of evident of that for me as well. So, <laughs> so you've essentially, you got, you're going to these different locations. You're going to do a 70.3, um, session each day for 21 days. And then you're going to sort of, um, create the documentary as you go through that, or is it going to be more of a before and after type thing? Yeah. Um, it's going to be during, during that component. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Um, Mm. there's going to be kind of two, two angles going on. So there's going to be me, you know, powering along. Um, and, and that part is going to be, you know, you know, kind of like, is he going to do it? Is he going to make it? You know, where's he going next? How's he doing that type of thing. But also the people that are coming out, uh, we want them to be able to convey their, their reasons of why, you know, why are they doing this and what has the sport done for them? Um, and, we're hoping that I can get some people to email email me some of their stories and stuff like that beforehand. Um, kind of working on the website right now to you know basically a redesign for all of that, um, so that we can have them be filmed uh, at the location. So, for instance, you know, someone someone had a uh, a really um, a great story they wanted to share, and you know, we're in Long Island, New York. Then when they're out there, uh, we'll break away, and they're going to actually be filming, and maybe while I'm writing. So I'll be a secondary component really to kind of the crux of the movie is it's really about why, you know, why we're all doing this and kind of that togetherness is just kind of laced with me doing this, this journey. So, so what's your sort of background in terms of, uh, you sort of said you're a surfer, but you know, in terms of doing all these, um, you know, however many hours per day for 21 days, uh, what sort of background have you done loads of Ironmans or is this all uh, no. new, new for you? <laughs> yeah, you'll probably... You'll probably laugh at me. Uh, I've, I've, I've been doing this sport for just a hair over two years, right? Mm. Um, came into it from, like you said, I came from a surfing background. I did motocross and MMA and um, just kind of always liked a little bit of the adrenaline. And that's what the three sports together does for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I've done three, I've done three half iron events. I've never done an actual Ironman sanctioned event, like mm-hmm. a 70.3 Ironman, never. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, three to my three to my credit, and I'm gonna knock off uh, you know 21 of these in 21 days. So I, I think I think I'm a bit crazy maybe, but I think maybe we love crazy. I don't know. Yeah, nice. You know? So so I've just been juggling. Um, you know, I, I I'm I'm the worker of the family. So you know, like I I, I have my normal job, and then uh, you know we're raising the kiddos and stuff, and then I I fit this. Um, I'm doing about 13 to 15 hours a week mm-hmm. um, training. Um, that I just, I juggle in. So like things like I'm waking up at four in the morning or, you know, I'm, I'm riding from 10 to midnight, you know, or when the kids have a show, things like that. And so 
I feel like um, I've been asked, like, you know, are you nervous? Or, you know, like, yeah, of course I'm nervous. You know, I'm, you know, sure. I, I mean, like, I think I'm, I'm worried about running, you know, 13 miles every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I could worry about a lot of things, but, but at the same time, I can't worry about that. Right. I'm just going to have to cross those bridge when I, when I come to it. But in some respects, I'm wondering like, you know what, I, I feel like I'm worried about so many things now, like the logistics of it, doing my training coupled with the kids, coupled with, you know, my wife and working. And, and I'm almost wondering like when I just have my vacation time and I could just focus on that, maybe my real battle is now, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe my, my hard times are now and I'm going to get out there and go, Oh wow, this is <clears throat> it's nice to only have to worry about this or so, you know, I mean, hmm. maybe that's maybe that's a fallacy, but that, that's my hope. I'm going to stick with that. I'm the same positive. <laughs> and when's um, <laughs> this when's is my heart now? When's all this going to be happening? So, I'm going to start uh, the 27th of July. Yep. And we will we'll be up there in Maine. Um, and we will we're going to drive up early because we're kind of looking a secondary component of all this is looking for a family compound for all of us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be looking around Maine. That's one area you want to look at. And then and then on the 27th, we'll start there and just start working our way down the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have that all mapped out. You know, the social media will, you know, give us give us the locations of where we're at and the website will, you know, have everything for people to look at as far as where they want to come show up for us, you know. So, um, so and I hope they do. My, yeah. So, so how can people sort of contribute to what you're doing in terms of, you know, you're obviously trying to cut the end product. You want to have a documentary as well as having a, a pretty cool achievement in, in, in terms of uh, you going out there and doing this this adventure. But in terms of how, how can people contribute or if they want to follow what you're doing, what's um, what's the sort of message you're trying to get out there? Yeah, yeah, I think I think. Like any helps always appreciated, you know, like spreading the word and things like that. I think the social handle that I probably utilize the most and get the most response off is off of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I think the way that people can help is, you know, one would be great and humbling to me is to actually show up. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be amazing. Um, I think also a lot of the ways that people have been helping me is it's it's crazy to know who people know. Um, and I think getting the word out for things, uh, like just crazy things, like, like I could use videographers, you know, like I'm always looking for that. Even, even photographers that maybe want to come out and shoot some photos of the, you know, the community aspect, um, people, people wanting to say, Hey, but maybe they want to make food. Like, I don't know, you know, mm. I'm, I, I'm really open to a lot of things, but I think the logistical thing is a big, it's a big concern for me because I'm unfamiliar with the areas and I'm going to be doing some, you know, like Google Google Earth type stuff to figure out routing. So I feel like if people are local to the area and they know a route and say, hey, this is a great route, this is a safe route, um, this is what you should do, then I, I'm good with that. You know, I'll take that and plug that in and that's that's my location for there. And if someone wants to shoot photos, if there's people that want to join me, I, that would be all great. Anything above and beyond that, um, I just think icing on the cake. I really have a big fear of being alone through all of this. So to see one person, I think it's going to be like one of those hard swallow moments, you know, and then at the end of it, you know, I have a, have a rocking um, project to showcase to people as, and get it out to as many people as I can to hope that in some way, shape or form, like I'd love to see more triathletes and stuff like that, but I really want people to kind of challenge their own self doubt. You know, that's what I, that's what I had doing this. I mean, I thought I didn't run it and swim it and bike never you know i mean i rode a bmx bike as a kid right yeah. like yeah. i thought i could swim because i surfed i i, I thought i'd run because i had pe you know in yeah. class right like in, in junior high and so this was a huge hurdle for me and everything i kind of saw out there kind of sort of supported that as far as just being like look these are what these guys do to do this and i thought i can't there's no way i can do that and then i think as you get into it i think you really realize you can do more than you think and then for me that's really kind of 
transcended into a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like parenting's parenting to me, you know, that's hard, you know, mm-hmm. but I feel like I see some dark days out there mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it helps make a lot of light into, I, I think just life. So I think if people can take that and, and do something as simple as like, Hey, I want to get off the couch and walk around the neighborhood because I saw this Jeff guy do something nuts. You know, that's amazing. Or maybe they want to get up off the couch and come cheer, you know, as I'm running down the street or, mm-hmm. um, or go publicly speak, you know, just something where they thought they couldn't do something. I would love to hear something like that all said and done. I think that for me would be like my, my gift back. You know, that's how I would feel like, oh, that's amazing. I did well. Cool. You know? So if people want to um, follow you, what's uh, the website and, and Instagram and all that sort of stuff? Yep, yep. Instagram's uh, at The Triumph Project. Um, Facebook, well, I have, Facebook, I have a Facebook page. Um, it's just Facebook, you know, slash The Triumph Project. And then I'm, I'm personally on Facebook as well, Jeff Fairbanks. And then the website is thetriumphproject.org. So we're just we're just a nonprofit project, uh, trying to get the message, trying to get the word out. So I appreciate everything you know and taking your time and everything. And hopefully, I don't know, maybe if you're around near there, come, come, uh, come, give me a run for my money or something on on the journey. (laughs) Unlikely, <laughs> but you never know. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey. <laughs> so, no, Wicked, we look, look, give us an update once the, the project's done and dusted because I'm sure the listeners will want to know what, you know, there's been a number of guys doing all these sort of crazy challenges of late and, and some have got bigger backgrounds than yourself. So I think people love to hear how you've managed to cope with uh, 21 days of doing 21 of doing uh, 21 kilometers in a row so uh good luck with it and guys if you want to get in support we'll have all the info up on the website in terms of links etc so uh good luck with it later in the year jeff hey thank you so much i appreciate it we'll talk again okay jumbo we are back good old jeff jeff yeah i think i think this is a it's going to be interesting to see how he gets through this because yeah, the other guys who have seen do these big missions, um, they've got know, thick skin and drive on, haven't they? They have. Whereas Jeff is pretty new on the block, and uh, I'm just going to be interested to see how his body responds to 21 days of doing a half marathon every day. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, like you see it with anyone who's kind of new to any exercise. The person who, and you often see this with someone who's been an athlete in another area when they move to a new movement, in mm. that they know how to train hard but their body's not conditioned to it, so they often just get injured pretty quickly. And if you, I'm not sure, does Jeff have any athletic background? Oh, he's got some. He's done a few halves and stuff, but it's not, uh, you know, not a great deal. So I think, you know, it really comes down, once, you, once you're through that, get over the hump of that first, you know, handful of days, and this is sort of what we find on Epic Camp a bit as well, once you can get through that first hump, and if you don't get too beaten up from that in terms of your quads, then you kind of settle in, and you just mm. got to, you know, you get through it. But if you ruin your legs on the first few days and you just get really sore quads, it's pretty hard to come back. You will get some active recovery every day on the bike, and that'll certainly help you run. Um, but you can uh, you could potentially ruin yourself in those first few days. Good luck well, to them, though. Yeah, for right, yeah. Anyone who takes on an ambitious challenge, you've got to, got to give them some respect for. Okay, Jumbo, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yes. Tell me so, um, I, was, I just had a quick look on Athlinks the other day or today, and thought, what can we talk about? Uh, 
And what I love about it is, you know, if I want to know what my 10K times are, you just log into Athlinks and they've got a filter in there so you can filter by race distance, you know, whether it be a running distance or a triathlon distance. And you say, boom, I want to see all my 10Ks that I've got listed on there, all my 5Ks, or all my Olympic distance races. Uh, so you don't have to go through loads of different websites. You can just go, boom, 10K, 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 what's my best time? What did I do at this race uh, five years ago? Or I can't say you've got a 10K race that you can't remember the last time you did it. Uh, and rather than going to that website and looking through pages of results, you can go, boom, 10K times, got it, job done. So love it for the simplicity of uh, just being able to have quick recall of all your distances. And of course, you can go there and, and lay a bit of smack down if you've got a race coming up as well. So keep all your races in one place guys on athlinks.com it's all free no need to pay anything for it and just get on there and keep everything in one place so you don't lose those results and you've got a quick point of reference have you ever done a mile race no but I'd love to do one well I maybe did it at school but certainly because they do that one day on Columbo Street yes yes yeah we, oh no, I'm not going to put it out there. I was going to say we could do it on the Home Talk weekend, but I think I am going to be so absolutely trashed on Sunday. Yeah, running that, fast. Uh, it's not a wise. good idea. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you reckon you do a mile in right now? Oh, I've got absolutely no idea. Oh, come on. Not very fast at all. Smacked it out. Not very fast at all. Unless I train for specific speed stuff, I'm pretty slow, mm. relatively speaking. Mm. So it would not be very fast. I reckon you're going to probably go about 4.15. That's, that's yeah. what I put my money on. Come on, Yusin, you can do it. You can do it, man. I believe in you. That's four fifteen. That's ridiculous. I, I wouldn't even be able to break five minutes. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably be lucky to even break five thirty. I remember watching a while ago on YouTube. They had this, these young guys who were pretty good runners, and they just seemed like they were obviously collegiate runners or something like that. And they they basically wanted to try hit the sub four hour, and they didn't get there. I think the fastest guy did like a four ten. But man, the effort it took to even to get to that level was pretty yeah. impressive. Those guys are, you know, that's that is so fast, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, uh, John Walker did over a hundred, didn't he? Big pardon. John Walker was the first guy to do a hundred sub fours. Yeah, hundred, New Zealand, so New Zealand hundred sub four yeah. minute miles. Oh, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Okay, John. Three, two, one. Coach's corner. Okay, so it's going to be a quickie this week. So like the love life, just hey? a bit of an update on the sort of training that I'm doing as I move forward to Epic Camp. And the reason I'm doing this update is because uh, we had a, a comment in from the Holy Hammer and he's more or less following the same plan that I do. So Tuesdays for me as a bunch ride, about 60Ks, go out there and uh, we ride about uh, 50 minutes or so on the flat and then spank it through uh, a number of hill climbs. And it's pretty much a bit of a race. Thursday I do FTP reps, which is sort of the main topic of this discussion from the Holy Hammer. Saturday I usually do an aerobic ride or I do some FTP efforts so for example on my Thursday session went through a series of doing five minute reps so first week was seven by five minutes second week was eight by five minutes third week was nine by five minutes and now I'm moving into a stage where I sort of do about 15 minute efforts so last week I did three by 12 minutes FTP this week I think I've got three by 15 and then next week might be two by 20 um, and then on Sundays I go out and do my, my endurance ride and if I haven't done the FTP TP work on Saturday, I'll do it on, on Sunday. So the theme of sort of the, the, the block that I'm in at the moment is uh, doing FTP work plus a bunch riding, which is which is above FTP. And then all I do outside of that is a, is a couple of short runs and one longer run and two swims. So the Holy Hammer is following this as well. And he's been doing his, his last block of FTP stuff was the same as mine where he went 
seven by five minutes FTP, eight the next week, and then nine the week after that. And he sort of asked me a few questions about that because he was doing them on the indoor trainer. And I commented the first week that I did it, I exploded and I couldn't basically complete my seven by five minutes because I was doing it on the trainer and we are in the well, we're in the tail end of summer now um, but I just completely overheated and uh, and exploded and A, I wasn't particularly well conditioned for it but B, just got uh, too hot and just uh, and completely lost it and Murray loves his stats so he actually pumped through to me what he'd actually been doing and, to sh- and, and, and I guess the theme that I want to get across the, the point that I want to get across here is the importance of staying cool when you're doing indoor trainer sessions uh, in warm to mo- on warm to moderately hot days, different story if you're in the uh, middle of winter. But he came up with his stats, so he did the same same sort of workout. Uh, in one week, you know, he started out by doing his first one at 320 watts, and his average heart rate was uh, one, or his average his finishing heart rate at the first rep was uh, 149. Uh, he went through his series of reps, and he actually tailed off his power because he was starting to struggle, where his heart rate was going so high. By the last rep, he was at 300 watts, but his heart rate had actually gone up to uh, an average of 166. And, and a maximum of 172. So I said to Murray, you need to bloody stay cool on that trainer to survive this and be able to keep the same sort of wattage and not let your heart rate get out of control. So he had a lift in heart rate from 149 max on the first one through to 172 on the last one uh, despite dropping off his power. The previous week, he had actually uh, started with a maximum heart rate of 150 in his first rep and then on his last rep, he had increased his power a bit, got up to 180. So then the week after I said, go get the fan. He put the fan on, and his first rep, he maxed out at 146 heart rate, uh, doing 320 watts. And on his last rep, he was doing 325 watts and only got up to 162. So it's a massive decrease in the, 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 the level that his heart rate actually raised simply by having that fan and actually staying cool. So if you're doing any indoor trainer stuff, that's the main point I want to get across. Get a fan so you can keep that uh, that core temperature down, and you can hit your power without your heart rate getting out of control. What about other things like you know, if you can do your indoor training sessions in a room where you got aircon, like would you recommend yep. stuff like that? Yeah, you just got you just got to stay cool. It's the same in in Kona. You know, it's a preventative measure. You know, when you're on the run in Kona or a hot race, yeah, of course you feel a bit hot straight away. But every race you go to. You, got to try to keep your core temperature down for as long as you possibly can because you, you're always going to experience that heart rate drift in, in warm conditions and it's going to go up but you've really just got to try to mitigate that by trying to stay as cool as possible for as long as possible so yep uh, just whatever it takes to keep cool you know whether it's um, having some ice there that you can put over your head as you're going through you know put it in a hat or something but whatever you can do to stay cool so you can keep your watts in the right uh, place uh, unless you're trying to do some other sort of adaptation and then you might use a slightly different protocol but if you're just trying to bang out a series of reps at a certain power output you need to keep yourself cool what about the slushies slushies were good you know um and and one of the reasons why the slushies struggled to take off a bit in in triathlon is because just the practicalities of it when we're not there you know the science is telling us you take it and it's gonna it's gonna help you uh it's just the practicalities of of doing it in racing hasn't been available but yeah there's no reason why you you shouldn't be able to do that in training it it is a a slightly hassle yeah but it's um absolutely Okay, well, really important good stuff. Good thought, Evan. Well, you know me, I'm always full of good thoughts, John. It's because I'm in England, I'm in the motherland. You know, <laughs> nice. they're saying keep the flag because it reminds me of uh, us of you. 
You got your vote in before you left? I did do my vote, John. Good. And I'm not going to get a punch in the face. That's all I'm going to say. Good. Yes. Are you happy? I am very happy. Are you optimistic? What's going to happen? No, I think I'll be dishing out a lot of punches. Okay. Next, uh, it's, it's a good vote. Voting cuts off in, in 10 or 11 days. I think it's 20, 23rd or 24th of March. And I'd imagine results should come out pretty soon after that. John's going to be doing the show from jail. So Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got another interview coming up, John. Oh, no, app of the week. Are we gonna, what, what are we doing here? We're gonna another we'll interview? save the app of the week. Okay, interview. Who are we interviewing? So we've got Ryan from Blue 70 here, really explaining what the I – I was really interested to find out. You know, obviously, they're a sponsor of the show, but uh, really interested to find out about you know the, this new suit because we kind of just babbled on about it last week. But they're really just trying to make some innovative moves on trying to keep cooler uh, in those – trying to keep warmer in those really cool conditions swims. So I think it's important for, A, the people doing those sorts of races, but, B, if you're somebody that suffers even in moderate temperatures, Temperatures. Uh, just listen in and, and hear some of the stuff that they're trying to do to, to keep things cooler. It's not necessarily a case of a thicker wetsuit, which I thought it might have been, and it is all legal in terms of uh, using it for any different races. So, yeah, here's Ryan telling us about it. And the interview does cut out, cut out at halfway, and Bevan's going to meld it back together, um, but our internet sort of cut out, and, uh, and it might not completely flow perfectly, but you get the message that, uh, yeah, it's a cool suit, and we still do have it rolling for the next day or two on our uh, eBay site, so go to imtalk.me. We'll have a link up there. Go through to eBay, you get yourself a killer deal, and it's a great suit if you struggle with the cold or if you're going to a cold water race. Team, it's a killer deal. Don't be silly, get on it. Okay, Jumbo, let's put that on. Ryan from Blue 70 right now. Okay, guys, we've got uh, Ryan Vanderloop from Blue 70 with us today. Bevan and I mumbled through our um, introducing the new. Blue 70 Thermal Helix last week, but I wanted to really uh, just make sure people understand what it's all about, and uh, the man behind that is Ryan at Blue 70, so welcome back to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me, John. It's really nice. Cool. Hey, so we, we did sort of introduce the suit last week, but we probably made a complete uh, mess of really emphasizing what some of the key features are, so really keen just to hear what the suit's all about versus, you know, what, you know, the, say the, the regular Helix. Well, since the water's always warm, you probably uh, don't need <laughs> thermal swim gear out there, do you? Over there in sunny New Zealand. No, well, I have got this new event coming up called the Sea to Sky, and that's sort of on April the 3rd, so it's going to start chilling off. But I know, you know, we know that <laughs> loads of people, you know, are doing either Norseman or um, uh, we were saying last week, Molina was doing uh, did Kelp Man a couple of years ago, and uh, and people struggle in those swims. You know, they put on the, the thermal um, hats and stuff, and we know that Blue 70's got the, the swim socks and then some races that you wear the gloves but um yeah. you know it's still bloody cold the idea of um thermal um or warmer um accessories in a wetsuit started uh a few years ago with the smaller accessories uh the skull caps and um socks and gloves and then what we did to even make them warmer was we added a um a midweight zirconium jersey to the inside of those items um, because every wetsuit, every neoprene item has um, fabric on the inside called jersey. Well, we went to a zirconium jersey, which is, I liken it to almost a wool. Um, so it, uh, you can kind of feel, you know, a merino wool sort of feels mm. like a little bit, a little bit fuzzy sometimes. Um, not like cotton, not like um, other synthetics that you weave t-shirts out of and stuff like that. This is almost a little bit fuzzy and warm. And we started with those accessories, and we've expanded to lining an entire Helix wetsuit with it. Mm. 
So in terms of so so in terms of actually keeping you warmer, and is the thickness of the suit um, increased, or is it more this this sort of jersey layer that you put within the suit? It's more. It's definitely the neoprene is not any thicker, mm. so it still falls within you know triathlon rules of not being more than five mil thick in any portion of the neoprene of the suit. Um, this liner is just different. It's different in um, in its um, in its tech, text, te- textile quality, the way it feels to you. Let's say it's woven more loosely, mm-hmm. um, sort of like a sort of like a, a, a tight knit cotton T-shirt is different from a um, a woolly sort of mm-hmm. uh, the outer feeling of a woolly sweater. Not not necessarily thickness wise, but just in the feeling on the outside. Mm. So we we used this suit. We tested it um, at Escape from Alcatraz last year. Nice. That's um, a pretty chilly swim for people that don't know. Yeah, and I and I'm not I'm not I'm not the bravest swimmer in the world, but I did it. Um, I used the suit. We had a couple of professionals use the suit. A couple age groupers used the suit, and our product designer Mike Orton also used the suit. And um, we got great reviews from all who used the suit. They all felt different, and I can say personally that it took the edge out of the swim to me. Yeah. Um, I was comfortable in the water. Uh, Cold was was it removed cold from being an issue, so it was great. And we have looked at um, Mike has done a little bit of this. They've looked at it, be it changing the feeling of water down to those. You know, I'm going to talk in Fahrenheit here, but um, mm-hmm. low low 50 degree swims, those icy icy cold swims that you usually feel. Um, it has a significant effect there. Of course, you've got to get moving in the suit. You know, your body generates heat. What this does is it just, um, it keeps the heat better. So you're more insulated. That's really the best way to put it. So um, in terms of how it feels and stuff, you know, one of my big pushes when whenever anybody says about a wetsuit is, and especially with the Helix, you know, the key thing with that is the the range of motion is is massive. You know, it's um, really through the shoulders. It's um, the most flexible suit that I've been in before. Um, and is, is there a bit of a trade off when you go to the the thermal helix in terms of you know if someone's sitting out there thinking I'm um don't really do many chilly swims, but there might be one here or there, and if they've only got the budget to get one suit, is it a significantly different feeling from the, from the regular helix? I think. In, to answer that question, as far as use goes, there is um, there's a little bit of a different feel. I can speak to that personally. Mm. Um, we tried to keep it as true as possible. As you'll see, the patterning and the neoprene layout and um, the Yamamoto rubber, everything we use is all the same. We just put sil- silver shoulders on it, and the inside is all orange because that's the color of this um, zirconium liner mm. that we put in it. But what you'll see is um, really, I think, if someone wants it, they will benefit from being able to swim earlier in the year, mm. more often throughout the year, depending on the conditions or the day, you know, when the water might be a lot chillier on the, on the surface and things like that. Um, but it, um, not a, not a vast difference in the flexibility or feel mm. in the warmth. Yes, but not, not a vast difference. I think if you were really, really discerning, uh, swimmer really really agile you know i bet we put them on you john you could probably discern a little bit of a difference in what yeah. the, they feel like because of the liner um, but hopefully that's really overcome by um the amount more you get to use the suit yeah. and, and and honestly you know you got to think of this too you uh, you may be in a really warm climate um uh then you probably want the trusty helix to go back to the trusty mm. standard helix mm. 
No, I know there's, and everybody feels the cold a little bit differently. So just to clarify as well, you said that it's um, WTC and, and ITU sort of legal. What's the, the deal with um, uh, gloves and, and socks at, at most races in terms of some of those cold ones? Is it um, is yeah. there, is it, ITU and WTC sort of ban them across the board? And, and is it more some of these independent races that allow them? What's the deal there? You, you you hit on a good topic and you do hear a lot of different things. Um, from what I best know now and what seems to be settled, and sometimes these do change, is that you know your skull cap can be used um, whenever a wetsuit can be used. I think if you don't want the cold on your head, that's fine. Mm-hmm. The socks and the gloves are really the ones to be um, to be concerned with. Gloves, I don't believe, are allowed in almost any environment. Mm. Unless the race is making a concession and not following WTC or, or ITU rules and going straight to saying, we are one of those unique races and it's really cold, we'll let you wear gloves. Mm. Um, and then socks, I haven't looked at this in a while, but I remember checking on it in past years. Socks there, I believe there was a certain temperature that it had to dip to before you could wear them as well. Mm. You know, like um, like WTC had a certain standard. If it's below this level, then you can wear um, something on your feet. Mm. Um, so, guys, from from a training perspective, though, I've said it before and I'll say it again: the socks are gold in terms of uh, just protecting your feet going in and out of the water. So, uh, get on it, guys. Anything else happening with Blue Seventy this year? We're going to have the the Blue Seventy uh, wetsuit aquathon in Kona. It's going to be bigger than ever this year. But um, anything else you want to sort of get out there that's um, big for Blue Seventy this year? We've also got um, we've also polarized some of the lenses in the Hydrovision goggles. Nice. Um, so you see that, and that's that's uh, an amazing an amazing um, enhancement for open water swimming, especially. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty exciting, and we're really interested. That that's been just everybody I've sampled those to, or um, customers that have tried them have absolutely loved them. But otherwise, John. You know, your Aquathon in Kona is probably the biggest thing that's going to happen this year. <laughs> uh, just one other question. The availability around the, um, the Thermal Helix, is it sort of available worldwide or when, when's it sort of going to be rolling out? Well, right now it's available um, currently in the U.S. It will be shortly here following in the U.K. And um, I'm sorry, I don't have an exact date, but the same would go for New Zealand. I wonder if we'll be getting some of those over there to catch your, um, your <laughs> sort of your, your your shoulder season as you get into a little bit cooler water. Yeah. But it may not be available until um, beginning of actually your next season yeah, in New Zealand. No. Sorry to say, I think most people are done and dusted for this season. Uh, Ironman's <laughs> been, been and gone, and challenges been and gone. It's just we need those few people to hang on till the Sea to Sky Challenge on April 3rd and we'll be all happy. So, Ryan, that's awesome and uh, we look forward to seeing you in Kona and we look forward to seeing you participating in the Aquathon Challenge this year. Sounds great, John. I will put it on my calendar today. <laughs> awesome. Jumbo, your thoughts? Uh, it's, it's great. You know, I just think that... If I was going to a cold race, I would be looking at this. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna trade off a t- potentially trade off a teensy bit of performance, um, but to stay warm makes a big difference. But uh, wouldn't it so, hurt your performance anyway if you're cold? Exactly. So it's one of those things. You just, yeah, you, you're exactly right. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Wait, I'm just gonna record that and just yeah. keep that in my my file or my phone. Yeah, that's my your ringtone. <laughs> yeah. You're exactly right. So check it out, guys. We've got it on our eBay site. Uh, get yourself a good deal on an awesome new suit. Okay, so we may have an interview here now. It depends on if John can sort out this interview tomorrow. But um, mm. So if it's there, it's there. I'm going to pour a pause in, and if it's not there, we'll be back right now. 
like a jumbo. <laughs> We're back right Amazing now. interview. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully he didn't. Hopefully he feels really good and it's been a good time. Um, we're about to find out from Craig. Yeah, either way, it's doing well on the fundraising. Uh, so, oh, is he? Well, that's great. So, what's happening on that front? Um, when I looked earlier on today, he was his target is to get eighty thousand Australian. Wow! And he was up to forty eight thousand. Uh, so, if you want to support what Craig's doing, he's trying to raise money for the John McLean Foundation. Yep. Um, which, for, as far as I remember, it's it's a bit like it's not like the Challenge Athletes exactly, but it's really to help people that have got disabilities or in their wheelchairs to actually get active and and get them the resources and stuff that they that they need to to be active. So it's a great cause, and John. McLean is a is a is um, someone who does triathlons from from a wheelchair. So good cause and fantastic work, Craig, on making it. If we didn't get the interview in, um, we'll probably do it next week or something like that. But yeah, he started off in Darwin on uh, you know, Sunday the sixth of March. Then he went to Perth, went to Adelaide. Then he went up to where did he go after that? Then he went to Hobart, which is in Tasmania, then Canberra, which is the capital on Austra- capital in Australia, then Sydney, Brisbane, and he will have just finished in Melbourne, Australia on Saturday, Sunday, the thirteenth of March. John, I have a couple of random questions. First one is, does the Ironman support a charity nowadays? Because it used to be Challenge for years, Challenge mm. Athletes Foundation, and then they, that, that relationship seemed to fade away. And I just, there's not an obvious, like I know they do bits and pieces here or there and like after the quakes are quite good and all the rest yes. of it, but there's no, I can't, I can't, I just, when I thought of that question, nothing instantly pops into my head. Yes, I don't know, Bevan. So anybody that uh, is listening that knows the answer to that, flick it through to us rather than us speculating. Yeah, so they, they still do lots of stuff, as you see in the local communities when they, you know, they get all the volunteers and they pump out checks to them to to to, to man the courses. But yeah, yeah, I can't remember if the, what what they have uh, elsewhere. And then also, any news on the lottery? Mm. So if someone knows any gossip on that, just let us know because remember that we, what happened last year where they got sued and they had to take it away because it was illegal and we haven't really heard much since then you know, of if there's going to be some kind of replacement system. Um, mm. Yeah, so just if anyone knows some inside gossip, we can keep it on down low as in we'll tell the world but we won't tell your name. <laughs> <laughs> but really just down the down low. Yeah, so, so just be, you know, just a couple kind of subjects that, you know, Maybe I could do a Google search to find out the answer. <laughs> but, yes. but you guys probably know more than I do. Okay, Jombo patrons. Oh, you're, oh, right. oh, yeah, you got to come up with these. I'll give oh, you some I've clues. I've got to come up with them. Yeah. So Rob Gray, if you remember, he well, – you can think while I talk. He was a guy who won Ultraman Florida. Was it Florida? I think it was Florida a few weeks ago. Um, we had oh. him on the show twice. Uh, he's South African and lives in the States, lives in Boulder. And what else about Rob? Uh, he rides one of those diamond, fancy diamond bikes. I'm gonna, I'll go on, I'll go on, I'll go on. Good. The detailed deliverer. The detailed deliverer. Yeah. Because let's be honest, he was detailed. He was very detailed. Very detailed, but the boy delivers. Yeah. So he's the okay. detailed deliverer. And second one is Carol Cooper. Carol uh, lives in Nelson. Quite a petite lady, fast. She qualified for Kona, I think it was either last year or the year before. Um, what else can I give you on Carol? Uh, I think she does a bit of personal training. Oh, no, I think, um, I think sure. I've got a, I'm going to call her Rock okay. Solid. Rock Solid. Rock Solid Carol. Yeah. Rock Solid, rock solid. yeah. There we go. Fantastic. Yeah. We had a great email in from um, Nick Pocock. He said, I'm out, I'm out right now doing run walking. It's brilliant. 
great method, works like a charm. So I've decided if this, there's too much good information on this podcast not to renew my patronage. So I did it. Whilst run walking, job done, glad to be back. Uh, so he heard the interview last week with the guys at um, team.oxygenaddict.com and uh, he's back on run and walk and he's back on being a patron and he's in with a chance to be going to Kona this year plus he's supporting everything we do, keeping you guys entertained. So if you want to support what we're doing, get on to imtalk.me and uh, join the patron program. Lots of uh, lots of giveaways we've got in there. You, know, you get swim caps and beanies and, and also the guys at Oxygen Addict that you heard from last week. They, remember they're doing a webinar on the 15th. So check it out, team.oxygenaddict.com. And also if they've got a coaching team there as well. So if you're looking for a coach, check them out. Okay, Jumbo sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. Our patrons. Um, they include lots of people who are amazing. And guys from Oxygen Addict. Those guys are rock as well, guys. Check them out. Okay, Jumbo, what you got? Uh, went to Weebix Triathlon today. Tommy oh. had a great little day out there, which is good. good. Does get stupid amount of kids there? Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. It sells out. I'm not sure how many they had this year, but it's it's like two, two and a half thousand. It's just fantastic. It really I was is, saying to Blinda, I was, I was re- really interested to see if they brought timing into it. So, this event is mass participation. The kids get a number and stuff. Everybody gets a medal. They'll get t shirts. And, it, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a very kind of slow start, isn't it? Like it's a wave start with lots of kids. Hmm. So they start 20 at a time, so nobody gets a result, but they, the, kids, the kids love it. But I was sort of wondering if they did actually have results, whether that would detract, whether, whether they would get such a big participation because the, the cost for doing it, yeah, they could, they could incorporate that, increase the entry fee by five bucks or whatever and give every kid a timing chip and it would make it logistically slightly more difficult for them, but it's not a, an impossible task whatsoever. Um, but then everybody would have a time because you see so many kids out there that sort of end up walking through the run, they sprint out like, <laughs> My goodness, it is insane. <laughs> and then within 100 metres, they walk <laughs> I love it, eh? There's uh, no pacing strategy. <laughs> yeah, and so there's no motivation to go and bury yourself. A lot of the kids do, but, you know, no one. if you walk half the course and you finish, then people can't come up to you and say, oh, I beat you, I beat you. Um, it's Yeah, I'd just be interested to see what sort of impact that had on kids. Does, Tommy did it? Yeah, yeah, he loves it, yeah. What do they charge you to do it? It's very reasonable. It's, I think it was thirty nine bucks, and they get a t shirt and a medal, and you know it's big, big money because they've got great sponsors. So you know they just get everything covered by the sponsors. So the entry fees are you know not not uh, not massive for, for what you get. You know, so it's. Uh, it's Melina started it, didn't he? Well, they ran it for for a while. I can't remember if he started it. But him and Aaron Baker did run it for a long time. Can't remember if it was their idea or not. Uh, it may well have been. So Scott, if it is, I do apologise. But they certainly ran it for quite a while. But I'm not sure if they instigated it or they may have gone to Sanitarium, which is Wheatbix, and started it. So either way, they were they were, were there organising in the early years. Good stuff. Um, any other guys? Uh, you, th- you think you could have taken it out? Yeah. Oh, I would have struggled. <laughs> would have struggled. Um, did a four-hour bike ride at four thirty in the morning yesterday. Four hours with no food whatsoever, just on water. So my old, uh, the old fat adaption starting to kick in quite nicely. So that was pretty good. And outside of that, uh, back in the game on the training. Had a good week of training after my nice easy week. So overall, pretty productive. Overall, pretty productive, John. What's happening this week? What is happening this week? So we're all building towards a the I am talk weekend and also the sea to sky challenge so just got my blinkers on getting those two events uh sorted out and 
outside of that, Bevan. We've got 35 watched, people coming uh, to the weekend. I watched a James Bond movie last night. The latest Spectre. one? Yes. What do you think? Bit disappointed. Why? It wasn't enough cheese for me, uh. and there's no gadgets or anything like that anymore. That's what I love about Bond is cheese. That go, that's stupid. That's not real, but that's what Bond's all about. Yeah. Yep. And there wasn't really any gadgets or anything. I mean, he had a watch that blew up, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, and the car was a bit of a letdown too, wasn't it? Yeah, because it didn't work so, when he needed it. And it's James Bond. So, yeah, it was. It was. It was fine. But I normally come away from Bond movies going, "That was wicked." Yeah. Just this time, not so much. Yeah, it's disappointing. I'm in Mother England, and he could get me now. He's probably going to come and get me with all his gadgets. I know. Oh, no, John. What am I going to do? Yeah. Do you know what I'm doing you today, John? Pull out your shoot phone, and you'll be able to escape. Yep, that's right. Put it on your phone. Yep, yep, that's, that's, uh, yep, that's what I'll do. Yep. No, I've actually got, I've got Star Trek, so I pull out the, the the phone that takes transports me back to New Zealand. Right. So yeah, that's yeah. what I'm doing. Yep, so. Beam Bevan up, Scotty. Beam Bevan up, Scotty. There you go. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, there you go. Well, Jonbo, I'm going to the FA Cup today, and I'm pretty excited about it. Pretty excited. I know, because I was basically talking to someone at work over here, and I said, oh, I would have loved to have gone to a football game, but... The only because there was none really on during the week, and I said the, the FA Cup sold out. And he said, "Mate, I know someone who works for Arsenal, so I'll get you a ticket." And lo and behold, I'm in row five and seat nine four five, and it's going to be a good time, John. Awesome. Yeah. Did you ever go to football when you were over here? No, no, but I would have liked to have done. Why didn't you? Oh, I don't know. Other priorities. Yeah, but uh, how long were you here for? We were, we were in Bristol, and Bristol had a crappy team there. I mean, uh, they're in the Division 1 now, but, yeah, if if we'd been somewhere where the football stadium was down the road, if, and I could have easily gone to London, but uh, just other, do other things. So When you yeah, lived here, how often did you come to London? Not very often. Yeah, uh, handfuls of times, not not oodles of times. Why Bristol? Because my dad is from Bristol, and I've got rallies there, so you had a free bed when you were on arrival, <laughs> and my brother was there, and my sister was there as well. So oh, okay. it was... Uh, Easy choice. Very convenient. All about convenience. Um, I mean, Our family goes well on thrift. <laughs> that's the family. That's the tradition we pass on. Um, yeah. What else have I been doing, John? I was, so how many days have you got left? I leave Tuesday night. So I basically got today. Sorry, guys. I didn't sort out a run. Um, it, just, it, it just became a bit difficult. And and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit tired to be honest one thing I don't do very well because it's such a time change difference coming here because it's the total opposite and I've been lucky if I've got four hours sleep at night so I just mm. I, like I go to bed and I, and I literally I get to like 8 o'clock and I just crash and then like I wake up at 12 or 1 and I'm just awake and it's like Ugh. so that's why Epic Camp is so good you just go on it and you're just so tired you just it's end crash. up sleeping. it's great yeah and it yeah. just so, but luckily, because uh, I had my big day of work yesterday, and luckily one of the girls had some sleeping pills. So on the night before, on f- Friday night, I took a sleeping pill, which like probably got six hours sleep. But yeah, I have to be pretty tired, John, and I've got bags under my eyes. <laughs> Pull out the violin. But well, I'm so yeah, we'll be back. Oh. back in the studios next week. Okay. Well, just do you want, do you want and guys, we have uh, we're getting close to having our I am talk kit ready for this upcoming season so if you're thinking about buying loads of gear just hold off we're going to have a new, brand new spanking uh im talk bike jersey and we have a bunch of other kit with it as well bike shorts and a few other oh, bits yeah, and bike bobs. Shorts as well, eh? 
yeah, we're going to get the full Monty, so there'll be a whole variety of things. So uh, hold off some of your purchases if you want to get another IM Talk bike jersey. It's going to look totally different to the old one. So it's a, it's like the bloody football teams in America in, yeah. in the UK. You know, they change their jerseys every uh, year. We change ours every 10 years. Yeah. So if you buy one, you might get 10 years use out of it. Um, but it's time for a bit of a bit of a spruce up. So look out for it in the next few weeks. And it's quite cool. It's kind of more black and a bit of cool blue. And we've got a bit of culture in there. And... Uh, yeah, so you guys mm. are going to love it. Okay, Jumbo, let's wrap this up. Mm. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia ka. Kia ka.